And welcome back to Coast to Coast. Ian Richard is an investigative journalist, a network television reporter, news director, and former number one rated national talk show host in New Zealand and very sought after international talk show guest. Ian, welcome to Coast to Coast. How are you, sir? Hi, I'm Ian Wishart, and this is Talking Matters, a show that goes beyond the headlines, tracking the cultural pulse of the country and the world. This is talk radio for grown-ups. Join us in just a moment. The Ian Wishart Show on Live365.com. You are about to hear an actual audio recording of U.S. President George Bush. The progress we and our friends and allies seek in the broader Middle East will not come easily. Now listen carefully to a portion of the same recording played backwards. The story within the story. Investigate magazine. New issue, out now. Brought to you in association with Thai Airways, the stressless recliner by Danske Mobler, home office products from Epson New Zealand, and Coloba, the cure for the common cold. You're listening to Talking Matters, the Ian Wishart Show on Live365.com. Welcome in, folks. I'm Ian Wishart. This is Live365.com. It's a pleasure to have your company on a Friday night. And uh, a lot of things in the news this week. We have the supermarket wars. First of all, it began with Australia boycotting New Zealand products. And uh, now it's turned into a war on countdown uh, for allegedly um, blackmailing New Zealand suppliers to the supermarkets. We can take your calls on, on that tonight, 0800 747 007, if you want to have your comment about the issues of the week, including um, the supermarket wars. Also, the uh, Bible and schools debate. That's been uh, raging through after St. Helier's School ditched Bible and schools after pressure from a couple of... Um, uh, parents who felt uncomfortable with their children um, learning biblical stories for 30 minutes a week. Bible in Schools has been around for donkey's yonks in New Zealand, and as uh, historian Paul Moon points out in a Herald column this week, uh, we are denying our heritage when we ignore the role of Christianity in the New Zealand story. And in fact, in the Western world story, I was reminded, and I was, I'll be talking to Paul Moon about this, but I was reminded of American feminist writer and atheist Camille Paglia, who uh, lamented a couple of years ago about the lack of biblical knowledge of uh, students at university. They had absolutely no idea about what our society was built on. Uh, and she said, regardless of the fact that I don't believe in the Bible or God, uh, I recognize the strong role that Christianity and Judaism has played in forging effectively the greatest civilization that the world has ever seen our Western culture. Is that something we should be ashamed of? Do we need to remember our history? These are issues up for debate, 0800-747-007. I want to uh, talk to Paul Moon about the Bible in Schools issue, and we'll uh, go to him very, very shortly. He has some interesting comments to make on it, and I think uh, it's worth listening to and then uh, taking some discussion around it. We'll be back in just a moment. Hello. Hello. 
Welcome back. This is Ian Wishart on Live365.com. We're talking to uh, historian Paul Moon from uh, AUT University. Now, Paul has written a fascinating piece, as we talked about in the New Zealand Herald, about the Bible in schools, battlers denying our heritage. Paul joins us now. Paul, what motivated you to write that article? Um, well, initially, it was the incident that took place at St. Helier's School, in which the Board of Trustees, I think, rather unwisely capitulated in the face of just a few parents who were complaining about Bible in schools. Um, but it's part of a wider movement that's taking place particularly in Australia and New Zealand, to make sure that Christianity is removed from the schools, from state schools I'm talking about. Do people, do you think, have any idea in New Zealand, in the New Zealand context, of how much this country was actually built on Christian missionaries? Um, They don't seem to. There's certainly nothing in all the material they produce that even hints at that. Uh, When, of course, that matter is raised with them, their response is, well, that's the past. It doesn't relate to modern New Zealand society. So they they basically dismiss it. The um, amount of uh, comments that you've received in the Herald uh, has been staggering in terms of the uh, uh, comments uh, online in in regard to the uh, column that you wrote. Have you you looked through some of those comments? Um, No, I tend not to. I I think that (laughs) a lot of them become quite vitriolic quite quickly and I don't think there's much purpose. I, I've received emails from people um, that's that's something different. When I do get emails from anyone I, I, I reply to them all um, and I've had a, a range of emails, let's put it that way. In terms of Bible in schools it's been turned into this whole uh, boxing match uh, about religion and, and the state and separation thereof uh, it goes deeper than that really I mean that's what you've identified in your column what, in a nutshell, what do you think the real issue is with Bible in schools? Well, the real issue when it comes to the opponents of Bible in schools is, is disguised. They're presenting it as being one of rights. They're saying, that, look, we all have equal rights. Um, and they're saying that it's not fair that one religion gets, if you like, a privileged position in state schools because there's a separation of church and state. And they say, look, either all religions have a presence there or none do. And of course, their preference is for none. This is what they're saying. What they're actually talking about is a full frontal attack on one religion only, which is Christianity. Um, I had one person who emailed me today quite angry about what I'd written, and I said, look, I I sense there's an element of hypocrisy in your group because you go after any slight display of Christianity at all in state schools, and yet when state schools sanction uniforms that accommodate the demands of other religions, you're completely quiet about it. And he had no answer for that. So it's, it's disguised um, as an issue of rights, um, but really it boils down to an attack on Christianity. And the, the nature of the attack is, is vicious. Um, I had one person, reasonably educated person from Australia, tell me today that teaching kids in school to say a prayer, particularly thanking God for the day, or um, saying grace, thanking God for a meal, he called that child abuse, and that's, that's the sort of language that they use, and it's very difficult to engage with people when they, they have such hyperbolic language. It, it's not a rational debate. They come across as trying to be ultra-rational. In fact, the whole language, the whole structure of their argument is, is highly geared in, in a particular way to, to denigrate the, their opponents. Given that most of the population actually have a religious belief of some kind, according to every, every poll in virtually every country, uh, is it not a little bit hypocritical for a small minority to be dictating what should be uh, believed by the rest of the public? Well, again, they've approached this in a very cunning way. They haven't said 
um, you know, we're a minority trying to impose our will on the majority, which is, in a sense, what they're doing. What they said is, this is an issue of human rights, and I think that's a, that's a misnomer as well. Um, I, I know people who've had very serious human rights issues, and I can tell you that a five-year-old child at school um, learning to say um, a basic grace before a meal is not a human rights issue, no matter how you dress it up. But um, they, they certainly draw attention to human rights legislation. I think they're using that as a stick with which they can beat any religious presence in state schools. Now you say in your column, uh, Christianity played a central role in the development of our state education system. Can you shed a little, more, little bit more light on that? Yes, in, in other state schools around the world, Christianity played some role. In New Zealand, it played absolutely the central role. The first schools were set up the very, well, the middle rather of the the 1810s. Um, by the 1820s, they were flourishing. Every single school in New Zealand was a missionary school. Um, by the time the treaty was signed in 1840, there were a number of schools, three main denominations, ran them. The Anglicans, by far the most popular, followed by the Methodists and then the Catholics. So you get three denominations running the whole school system, essentially, if it wasn't for the missionaries. And they, they weren't well funded. Uh, I think people have an image now of, of big, powerful churches in Europe funneling huge amounts of money to the colonies. The opposite was the case, that these, these mission schools really struggled. But it was the entire school system for the country, primary school system for the country. And eventually, the state took increasing control of it. Um, but even when they did that, they allowed for the presence of some form of religious, religious instruction in the schools. And that, that's been under threat at various times in our history. Um, uh, arguably, Sir George Grey was keen to make the education system a bit more secular. And certainly in the 20th century, there had been big advances to secularise schooling. And in a sense, that, that seems reasonable that the church and state, a lot of people suggest, ought to be separate. And there are good arguments for that. Ironically, one of the Western countries where the church and state are totally separate, which is the United States, has one of the highest presences within schools of religious instruction. So it's, it's, it can be a useful thing. But um, since, since the probably the 1930s, there's been a, a growing and sometimes concerted attack on that religious presence in our schools. It's a very small presence, talking about 30 minutes a week. Taking, taking a historical context on this, what impact did Christianity and the work of the missionaries actually have on effectively the civilization of New Zealand? Um, okay, well, civilization firstly is, is a loaded term. I think that um, there are different types of civilization. It's fair to say there was a form of Maori civilization. Some people argue that. Other people argue civilizations are evident when communities have cities. That's the, the if you like, the, the test paper that's used to apply to see if, if it's a civilization. Does it? Does that particular group have a city? So there are different interpretations of what civilization means. But if we, if we can perhaps reword it as, as westernization, I don't know if that's a particularly useful term, but it might be slightly more accurate. Um, missionaries were, were central in that. In fact, uh, Marsden was insistent that Maori be taught to read, not necessarily to write, they were taught separately at the time, but be taught to read so they could read the Bible um, and he also said at the same time we have to, in his words, we're civilised Maori as well as, as Christianise them. And there was a big debate about this. Henry Williams, who became the preeminent Anglican missionary in New Zealand in the 1830s and 40s, his view was different. He said we don't need, we the missionaries don't need to civilise Maori. He said we, 
we need to convert them. And as a result of that change, the, the, the reduced emphasis on civilization, you get a new phenomenon from the 1830s in particular, which is Maori becoming missionaries, spreading the word to other Maori communities in a way that probably most European missionaries couldn't achieve. So the emphasis shifted away from civilization before conversion to conversion and then civilization. If you, if you look at the um, speeches from the Hui at Koi Marama in uh, 1860, there's a lot of talk about uh, the impact of Christianity on, on Māori culture and, and indeed allowing the treaty process to even happen. Again, this is a fundamental part of New Zealand history. It absolutely is. Um, the, the, the role that the church has played was, was highly significant in a political sense. The treaty was first signed on the 6th of February, seven days earlier, on the 31st of January, the missionaries, some of the missionaries in Northland received a letter from the Archbishop of New South Wales encouraging the Anglican missionaries in New Zealand to do everything in their powers to ensure that the, the chiefs did sign the treaty. So there was a great deal of encouragement. The, the head of the colonial office at the time, the person who came up with the idea of a treaty with New Zealand, was Sir James Stephen. His father, also James Stephen, was a very active person in the anti-slavery campaign. His, his uncle was William Wilberforce. Now, James Stephen was one of the directors of the Church Missionary Society, the Anglican missionary organisation that ran the Anglican missions in New Zealand. So there's a close connection between, if you like, the official in London and, and some of the missionary movements in New Zealand, and the missionary movements themselves had quite a strong presence um, in, in a number of Maori communities in the country. Not all. There was some resistance, but in a number of them anyway. And when you look at those speeches at Koeda Marama, the, the, the chiefs were praising the, the changes within society that conversion to Christianity had, had brought. They, they acknowledged that. I think there, there would have been a, a much more widespread acknowledgement that perhaps hasn't, hasn't left any record in history. So it might have been something that was spoken among themselves at the time, or they perhaps didn't, didn't speak but just thought to themselves. But certainly the the reduction in the amount of warfare that coincided with the onset of the spread of Christianity in New Zealand is something that's been written about by a number of historians and it's got to be taken into account that the, the, the almost seemingly endless cycle of killing that went on between some communities was finally stopped as a result of the spread of Christianity. And in fact, there's, there's a Napoli term um, for blood clot and it translates as blood clot. And that's how they describe the missionaries, this particular hapu. And I asked the person from there, I said, look, why, why would you call the missionaries the blood clot? And I said, because it was the missionaries that stopped our communities from bleeding. We were killing each other season after season. The missionaries acted like a blood clot. They stopped the bleeding. And that allowed those communities to prosper. And yet bringing that into the 21st century, with Bible and schools now front and centre of a culture war here in New Zealand, as it is elsewhere around the world, uh, effectively we're being told that... Um, religion and religious belief and belief in a higher power have no place in society. Yeah, again, the message is, is very well crafted. You have to give credit to the people organising this campaign because they've, they've thought very carefully about the language that they use. It's all couched in terms of individual rights, in terms of protecting people, in terms of not causing offence. When it comes to children, these are the things we want. We want our children to have rights. We don't want them to be offended. We want them to be protected. So these people are saying, well, this is what we're doing, and they're saying the, the people who deliver the Bible and schools message are abusing the children. They say they're creating all sorts of pressures and strain on them. 
Now, if you're a parent who doesn't know any better, you might think, well, this is the case. And the language sounds very compelling. Unfortunately, a lot of it's quite deceptive. And as I say, that the, describing Bible in schools as a human, right, human rights issue is preposterous. Calling it child abuse is not only preposterous, but it's also offensive to people who have suffered proper child abuse. Using, the, using that term to describe a, a, a short biblical lesson on a Monday morning is just ridiculous. I'm, I'm, remind, I'm reminded of a comment that um, Camille Paglia made in the USA uh, about five years ago. Uh, she, of course, is a very strong atheist and feminist, and uh, she was lamenting the lack of knowledge of biblical stories in the modern generation coming through university. Uh, she said there's almost no cultural memory anymore of Christianity. And she was speaking in American terms. Um, and she said, despite the fact that I don't believe in God or, or Christianity... I recognise the part that these beliefs have played in, in Judeo-Christian Western civilization and everything that we stand for. And, and I think it's important, she said, that, that people learn these stories. Are, are we throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Well, we absolutely are. And that's, that's a very hard argument to get across to people. It's very easy to say, look, this is abusing your civil rights and so on. Let's get rid of it. Let's have a level playing field. That, that appeals to our fairness. It's much harder to, to get across to people the fact that the... Several aspects of the Bible have insinuated themselves into our culture, and they've done so over hundreds of years or thousands of years in some cases. Now, you can't simply disentangle that and say, we're not going to have it anymore, because it's part of who we are. Like it or not, it's part of our inheritance. And you can't simply amputate that inheritance and say, well, it no longer applies. We now live in a postmodernist world where you can do whatever you want as long as it doesn't harm others. Um, that, that's a very bad recipe. And unfortunately, I think that the people, I think some of the people who are behind this opposition to Bible in schools, they may have good intentions, but I think that they're severely misguided if they think they can just dispense with history in that way. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to uh, historian Paul Moon from AUT about uh, Bible in schools and uh, Christian history in New Zealand. Um, Paul, just before you go, where do you see this debate heading? Do you think that Bible in schools is uh, now an endangered species? Absolutely. I think that the the threat of the Human Rights Commission, and I, I suspect personally they're, they're going beyond their mandate, but there's not much you can do about that, but the, the threat of the Human Rights Commission, the adverse publicity it brings to schools, um, the very well-organised and aggressive campaign that the opponents of Bible and schools are mounting, and it's extremely well-organised and it is extremely aggressive because I've, I've borne the brunt of it for the last day or so, and I'm sure other people have in the past. Um, what we're going to see is, is more boards of trustees taking the, the cowardly way out and capitulating and saying, well, we, we don't want to get in any trouble. The best way to avoid it is simply say, we'll have Bible in schools after school hours for anyone who wants to go. It'll be a voluntary thing. And that's at best. At worst, there'll be some schools who will say, we, we don't want any presence from anyone Bible in schools at all. I think new schools opening will be very reluctant to have uh, Bible in schools because they think they're just inviting trouble, inviting controversy. So it, it's 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 the start of the collapse of the system, I believe. Um, and unfortunately, it's, on one side, you've got a very aggressive, assertive group. On another side, you've got a fairly passive group. And nine times out of ten, the, the assertive will, will dominate. Paul Moon, thank you for your time. I'm uh, reminded, uh, folks, on live365.com of uh, comments that Mark Stein, commentator, made uh, talking about the West sleepwalking to national suicide as we, as we jettison the things that uh, built our civilization and our culture. Uh, we, we run that risk. Uh, Paul Moon, thank you for your time. This is live365.com. We'll be back in just a moment.
Imagine a world where TV reporters actually gave you the facts, not an agenda. A world where interviewing your keyboard was seen as workplace humor, not a compulsory job requirement. This year, one man will break through the BS. One man will wring the truth out of truthiness. One man will leap tall buildings at a single... More stimulating talk radio. The Ian Wishart Show on Live365.com. Talk radio for grown-ups. assassinated and he still keeps coming back for more punishment with more lives than a cat you're listening to investigate dailies in wishheart on live 365.com talk radio for grown-ups